0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. Uh, For those who normally watch, you know that my background doesn't usually look like this, and that's because I'm traveling. I'm actually doing some interviews for the 1607 project this week. And so uh, right now I'm at an Airbnb where uh, I'm doing some filming, and it doesn't have any internet, so I have to record this remotely and then upload it later today, Lord willing. But I want to talk about a few things that have happened this week as I've been traveling that uh, I would normally... Probably dedicate an episode to, but because of time constraints while traveling, I'll try to just be short and summarize as much as I can. Uh, The three things are first, um, federalism and uh, secession nullifications, less government, decentralization, localism, that whole issue. Because uh, there's a tweet that Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman from Georgia, put out there that stirred up a lot of controversy. A few days ago. And uh, last night, Jesse Kelly, a talk show host that's conservative, sparked some more controversy uh, by supporting basically what Marjorie Taylor Greene was saying. And so um, her tweet says this We need a national divorce. We need to separate by red states and blue states and shrink the federal government. Everyone I talk to says this from the sick and disgusting woke culture issues shoved down our throats to the Democrats' traitorous America last policies, we are done. So that's issue one. Issue two is going to be the Southern Baptist Convention, and people have asked me, what do you make of them kicking Rick Warren's church out of the convention at the executive committee level?" And I will tell you what I think. I'll give you um, maybe a broader perspective on that as well. And then we're going to end the plane, land the plane on ACBC. The Association of uh, Biblical Counselors uh, has issued a statement concerning the Christianity Today article against John MacArthur, and I think probably they didn't say this, but it it has to do, I would think, with also Rachel Denhollander going after ACBC specifically by name and their method of biblical counseling because she thinks that uh, abuse is the result of that somehow, that they don't have the proper tools to handle abuse. So we're gonna talk about all those things. Let's start with this whole national divorce issue though. What Marjorie Taylor Greene said is so American in my mind, as far as we wouldn't have the United States unless there was a secession effort among the colonies. And the idea that um, local government is better, during that time, it was the committees of correspondence that formed somewhat of a shadow government, but it was a more legitimate government than the royal governor was. And that's in some of these states and legislatures and that's part of the reason that the revolution or the American War for Independence had legitimacy. Today we call this sometimes the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. I'm not a big fan of that term but uh, that's the Christian notion there and you don't get this without some kind of a reformed uh, Protestantism that has to be in in the ground before you can plant something like this and so I've been interviewing some experts on American history over the last few days, and I've just become so convinced that, uh, and I was convinced before, I'm just more convinced now that the fundamentally American thing is to value federalism, smaller government, less government, local government, self-government. And that's what the founders were fighting for more than anything else uh, on a political level, I should say. Uh, was the ability to govern themselves, to see to their own affairs, because they recognized that Parliament wasn't doing it. They were abrogating the responsibility, making war on the colonies, if you read the Declaration of Independence. And one of the problems today, the reason we don't see this, and the reason that Jesse Kelly was getting in hot water, even with people who are broadly against social justice on our side, is uh, of that issue, is because um, there is, on the now political conservative side, it didn't used to be as much, but now it is, and certainly on the left, this notion that America is fundamentally a proposition nation, and that proposition is that all men are created equal. And um, sometimes conservatives will use the term liberty, uh, but the left, of course, loves to use the word equality or equity today, and um, this gets used to justify all kinds of different things, uh, whether it's a war, or whether it's um, a health care measure, uh, or whether it's extending the Civil benefits of marriage to same-sex couples. There's all kinds of things that get justified because, well, it's freedom, or it's liberty, or it's equality, and that notion that that's what the United States is is a foreign notion. It would have been foreign to our founders. Um, It's not that they weren't for liberty; they were, but they had a specific conception of what liberty was. It it, it, today, let's uh, give a very practical example of this. In Auburn, Alabama, someone—if you ask someone what's liberty. They would have a very different answer than someone, let's say, in Portland, Oregon, Wouldn't they, would they not? Uh, even on something as basic as marriage, that they would have a very different notion of liberty or equality, either one. And so how do you govern a country from a centralized location when uh, either Auburn, Alabama holds sway, their president gets in, their uh, Congress, Congress is composed of people that think like them, or conversely, sometimes it's Portland, Oregon, and it's their president. And it's people who think like them, and one exerts dominance over the other. How do you govern in a country like that? Uh, that's not enough glue to stick together to say, well, we're both about freedom or both about equality or something. Well, uh, but you have different notions of it, and that's part of the problem that we're seeing today. And the founders, when they seceded from Great Britain, they were very, very self-conscious of the fact that they were British citizens who were denied their rights as Britishmen. As a body politic, they were denied what the government of Great Britain extended to their own citizens. They did not extend to those who they called their citizens and expected taxes from in the New World. And that's part of the problem that they had. That's that's most of it. And, and so they recognize that uh, you're not treating us the way that we are, we are supposed to be treated. You're abrogating your responsibility. It's like a, in a divorce situation. You're cheating on us. You're violating the understanding that we had. And so we have local governments that uh, are also legitimate, and, we, and they are uh, our barrier to protect us from you. And This idea of localism has just been in there from the beginning. But they recognized they were British. Even George Washington, who was a nationalist, by the end of his presidency, in his farewell address, he says, you're connected, all regions of the country, because of shared traditions, values. Uh, He doesn't actually say values. Shared, I think he says, uh, traditions. He talks about religion, I believe, and um, uh, language. And, And these are things that bind the colonies together. And I think even he was realizing that in the future, if Uh, there may be a war or something. I mean, these regions are different. The South and the North are different, and part of that is different regions of England settled in those different areas. You can read uh, David Hackett Fisher's book, Albion Seed. He talks a lot about this. Well, um, the things that make the United States, though, unique, or make the United States the United States, on a political level, most, if you're thinking of novel things, uh, is this idea of uh, separation, independence, localism and self-government. Federalism is the word that we use to describe this, uh, this notion of separation between the states and the central government. The central government was only intended to really do two things primarily, and that is to regulate trade and to make treaties. Uh, So for self-defense purposes uh, and for the purposes of uh, making sure that trade is regulated. And other than that, there really was not uh, a a purpose or, or a reason to have a central authority. The states took care of the other things. Uh, And you could have uh, diversity in the states. Even there was religious diversity uh, at the founding period. So um, this is just part of what America was, and this was common sense, but now what happens is modern conservatives, even so-called, are reading the Constitution through the lens of the Declaration of Independence, and not even the whole document, just the preamble, and they're reading the preamble through the lens of the Gettysburg Address. And that's where everything goes off the rails. Because the Gettysburg Address, L- Lincoln was not there, first of all, for the Declaration of Independence. And his interpretation of it, that uh, it's th- that the reason that our forefathers came together was to enshrine the proposition that all men are created equal, is just not the case. And it's not this egalitarian notion of equality. It's not a, a, a notion of um, changing all the social, uh, uh, social arrangements around. For Jefferson, if you read the document and the way that it was commonly understood was that the, the independence was of the body politic against Great Britain because they had been denied the rights of Englishmen. and An inalienable right, for those who don't know, this is another thing that a lot of conservatives even so-called today get wrong, and, and the left surely gets this wrong, is an inalienable right. And what that is, an inalienable right is a right that you are responsible to defend. You should not give it up. There's a responsibility attached to it, and in Great Britain it's still used that way. Today, in the United States, we think of it as, well, it's just what the government can't do to you. That's not true. That's not fully what it is. It's the responsibility that you have. And so um, Jefferson, when he said all men are created equal, he's talking about uh, what we would consider, uh, perhaps at at his time, what they would have considered to be natural rights, but it uh, it wasn't civil rights, is the point. Um, you have a a situation at that time, even in that same document, he's complaining about things like uh, how the the British have instigated, uh, I think he even uses the word savages, but uh, Native Americans, Indians, uh, to uh, go and make war on them. And uh, he, I mean, not a very egalitarian thing to say. He complains about um, all kinds of things. They're uh, one of the, the big issues between the colonists and uh, the British was the fact that the British were attempting to free slaves. In fact, New York was one of the main places. Slaves would go there and they gained gain sanction. Uh, and uh, when the commander there left, George Washington wrote a letter and he's angry that the property was taken, their, their property. And, and so uh, th- this was an issue throughout the war, but Jefferson complains about this as well, that uh, you can't do that, you can't take our slaves. And so how do, how do you square that, right, with, all men are created equal. And of course, the conservatives, neoconservatives today are like, well, it was this proposition that later on would flower and bloom into full-grown uh, emancipation, but it just hadn't gone there yet. And they, they, they lived in this tension. Well, not They didn't live in that tension as much as you think they did. They didn't live in the tension of women couldn't vote as much as, much as you think they did. It wasn't even a thought in their mind. Uh, they lived at a time when these were the social arrangements. And when they're talking about men being created equal, it's you have to read it in the context of this is in the context of a political arrangement with great britain where they're not being treated equal and that there are certain things that they are required to defend because of the responsibilities they have and and, and as a body politic now it's turned into this individual notion of uh, autonomous rights of some kind uh, civil rights autonomous rights that's not what the founders meant by it. And so um, more will be coming out when I uh, have the 1607 Project interviews all uploaded. I'll, I'll probably put out some more material on this particular issue. But uh, it's embarrassing, to be quite frank, the ignorance that so many have on this subject. What Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted out, there's, th- this, is, th- this is her encouraging this, uh, this national divorce, but honestly, it's happening whether you encourage it or not. Jesse Kelly last night, talk show radio host was getting a lot of flack from people even on our side of the in general of the uh, social justice debate because he was supporting this and he was making observations more than anything else. This is just happening. People are moving to red states where they feel more safe and they feel that they have a shared culture and there's a million reasons for this. There's a million like culture is so complex Uh, but there's secession movements already in the Pacific Northwest underway to divide states up and this is happening whether you want it to or not. People are going to do what's in their best interest, and uh, they're starting to now, conservatives, come together and align with each other and form new companies, etc. It's because they want to do business. They don't want to give money to Amazon anymore if they can avoid that. So, um, I wanted to just say a few words on that and just say, look, there may be people who are well-versed on theory, well-versed on theology, but they're Unfortunately, I don't know that they're well-versed on history and they're weighing in on these things, saying things that frankly just aren't true. They're just not true. It's not true that the United States is the first nation in the history of the world to be founded on an idea of equality or liberty, um, other, in contrast to every other nation which is um, founded or uh, exists because of things like culture, religion, uh, even shared cuisine, Uh, lineage. I mean, these are all the things that actually do confer identity. And what you think of when you think of France, or you think of Italy, or you think of uh, Angola, or you think of China, you think of all these things. But when you think of the United States, you think of equality. Well, that's not true. That's not even what people go and fight in our wars to defend. They're not going there because of some abstract notion of equality and extending democracy or something. They're going because they're fighting for the folks back home, because we were attacked, because uh, they want to protect their mothers and children and uh, all of that. Uh, they're buddies in the foxhole. I mean, it's, that's why people fight. It's for these tangible things that they have experience with. It's not for some abstract notion in their head. But that's the theory that, unfortunately, even most or modern political conservatives seem to be under. It's a, it's a spell. Uh, and uh, hopefully, 1607 Project will dispel uh, that spell. So um, I want to talk about that. I wanted to also talk about what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. Apparently, uh, according to Baptist Press, Chairman Marshall Blalock of the, um, the Task Force for Abuse Reform Implementation said that their ministry check website is going to cost as much as $2 million. Yeah, $2 million. If you wonder whether or not the vultures are swarming and with bated breath looking to liquidize assets of the Southern Baptist Convention to line their own pockets, I don't know that you have to look much further than this. $2 million for a website? Really? Really? Uh, I, I can't think of any reason in the world why I would take that much money to build a website, but apparently that's what it takes. And um, the Southern Baptist Convention's Executive Committee met, and they th- there, there were two things that were significant in regards to this whole abuse issue, this Me Too issue, I should say. One is Mike Law, a lawyer, issued a statement that basically sought, seeks to uphold the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 with a clear biblical teaching that pastors should only be biblically qualified men. So he Presents this amendment, uh, it was not taken up in the meeting. Uh, there's a subcommittee that will continue to discuss the motion, and they'll make a recommendation in June to the general uh, the convention when they meet the annual during the annual meeting. Now, this is interesting, though I don't think a lot of people realize that because at the same meeting, Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, was disfellowshipped because of having women pastors, which is in violation of the Baptist faith and message. Now, Rick Warren's church isn't the only church. There's a number of churches out there that have this issue. So there's a curiosity about this. How come they don't take up this amendment right away, but they have the guts to kick out Rick Warren's church? Rick Warren's church was an obvious thing. It was obvious. That's what uh, some people were saying. It's the end of the convention when you have a document that says you can't have women pastors, and then you have a church that does, and they're in friendly cooperation, and the resolutions committee can't seem to do anything about it. They can't even address it. You know They have to defend the church. Uh, and uh, you know people are giving Rick Warren a standing ovation. Uh, I don't know if it was standing, but they, gave, they clapped for him when he spoke and gave him more time than anyone else, it seemed. And this is the problem. This is a huge, 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 huge problem. And this is bigger than in some ways in Resolution 9, because this is about whether or not you can be in cooperation. It's kind of like what I just was talking about. It's not unrelated in some ways from whether or not you can be in a compact, a constitution, an arrangement with someone in another state who has violated that. If you're in a marriage and someone is violating the marriage, marital vows over and over and over, cheating on you, right? Do you, uh, should you stay in that arrangement? Well, if someone is on a uh, a national level, if you have a state that's uh, violating, or a political party that's violating uh, the constitution, that's the document, that's a shared document that should serve as a kind of glue, a shared, um, it does it, and because we're a federal republic, that's not all that's in a nation. You have the flexibility of having actually even different nations joined together at, by this federal republic. But you have to have the, some kind of a baseline for having trust, building trust with one another. If you don't have trust, you don't have a market, you can't trade, you can't defend yourself, and that's what we see completely eroding is public trust. And it's not just on the national level. It's on the local level and it's uh, in denominations. And so this is what's happening right now. Trust is being eroded. And when the convention fails to uphold its own standards, trust is eroded a lot. And I think that's why that made a big splash in ways that maybe even Resolution 9 did not make, because that was an indirect challenge to the Baptist faith and message, not direct. So is this a positive thing? Well, yeah, I think so, but I will temper it with this. You have to also understand, I've been watching these people for a few years and the upper echelons of the SBC and they seem to operate more according to politics than they do principle. And so it wouldn't surprise me uh, because oftentimes social justice advocates will do this uh, and I've seen this in the SBC, they will try to convince their donors that they are still conservative, you should still give money to them, because look, we're pro-life, we're against gay marriage, we just think racial justice is important, we think abuse is a problem, right? They'll say things like this, so give me two conservative views, and I'll give you one liberal view, and that means I'm a conservative, I guess, and then you look into their pro-life view, and it's this holistic womb-to-tomb pro-life view that's not really even uh, a traditional pro-life view, and uh, they're not. They're, they're social justice warriors. They're not you know, conservative Christians, but they market it that way. And one of the things that I'm concerned about with this is when, the, when you have a situation where the executive committee has met, they have recommendations from this task force of a $2 million website, they have spent, according to the Tennessean, uh, $6 million last year just on this abuse issue. And they're now looking at possibly liquidating assets. They haven't even started the website yet for intaking these complaints. Uh, when you have that going on, this embrace of the Me Too stuff, what kind of bone are you going to throw to the people to convince them that it's still worth it to stay in the convention? Because no one wants to stay in a convention where they are paying the lawyer's fees for irresponsible churches. Why would you want to stay in that? You're in there for ministry. Well, if on top of it, the other people uh, the convention's not even upholding its own statement of faith, and you really have no reason. And so that's, I think, one of the um, one of the considerations that could be uh, in this as well is that let's let's try to at least show that we're not as we're not going as radical left as uh, as people think we're going. So we'll throw them a bone. Now that's an assumption on my part, but it's an assumption that comes from some experience and watching, and it's certainly a possibility. You do have to admit. So uh, so uh, is that a red pill? I suppose, but it's, uh, I would expect if we're going to see repentance, there's going to be retractions, admission first, retractions, and then a wholesale repentance, not this pivot we keep seeing from like JD Greer and Al Mohler and others where, well, uh, who did I see Willie Rice the other day too, where positions that they used to hold, they're now contradicting and they don't admit really where they contradicted, or if they do, it's, it's just, uh, uh we changed our position slightly, or we've, There's no repentance. There's no, and it's not wholesale. It's not, you have to see this in the context of a Biden administration that's aggressively pushing the needle left and people don't like it. And so you got to at least show that you're somewhat on the right. You're somewhat against what's happening. And I think that's more of an explanation than things are being reformed in the convention. I don't think that's the case. Well, uh, let's see, what else? Um, That's Southern Baptist stuff. I want to talk about this uh, Association of Biblical counselors uh, acbc acbc's organization Uh, they put out a statement that was intended to answer what christianity today and i think they didn't say this but also rachel den hollander put out there she was going after acbc specifically because she said their kind of counseling is what leads to situations of abuse and i'm glad they said something but what they essentially said maybe i can pull it up here because there is actually one thing i think i wanted to read from this what they essentially said was very general. Uh, they talk about they're preparing new documents to train people in uh, counselors in abuse uh, and why abuse prevention, etc. And then it says, Any failures of ACBC counselors regarding the complex issues surrounding abuse demands that we grow in biblical wisdom and application of Christ's name, uh, etc. Uh, it, it's just very general. ACBC counselors must respond with humility and repentance insofar as they have mishandled abuse situations. This isn't going to satisfy anyone. That's the problem with this. It's not going to satisfy anyone. I'm glad they issued a statement, but here's the thing I'm so tired of seeing from conservative organizations. They're viciously attacked. Rachel Denhollander viciously attacks them, blames them for specific abuse situations. And then, instead of calling her out, taking her to task, demanding an apology, um, combating the... Me Too movement, uh, combating things like we need to operate by the preponderance of evidence instead of uh, the uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, combating things like we should should we just believe someone because they have a story instead of just combating these things. Uh, things like someone's an abuser just because c- they exert power in a situation. So it's it's not adultery; it's abuse. If someone's let's say your professor or your pastor. Uh, even if it was uh, consensual, it's really not because they had a position of power. over you. Instead of combating these things directly, in the face, and, and charging out there, which if they did that, we would support them. And I'm not saying this just about ACBC. I'm saying this about all sorts of conservative organizations. They seem to want to have a good faith discussion with people who hate them, with their enemies. And I would suggest to you the time for that is complete for the most part. That's When, when you're viciously attacked and falsely accused and slandered, you need to defend yourself. You need to, and, and it's not because you're defending you. That's the thing that I think is hard for people to grasp. It's because you're defending the people who believe in what you're doing, who have contributed, who have used your biblical counseling, who um, go to churches where they use that biblical counseling. It's, it's all of them, it's, and, it, and it traces back to the sufficiency of the Word of God. If you're not willing to defend yourself when you're attacked, you, and you can't see that this attack is really on the sufficiency of Scripture, then I don't know that I can help you. And it's, it's, it's somewhat discouraging to see that we need some aggression here, some biblical uh, righteous indignation. And that's what I'm seeing lacking from this. So um, I'm glad they issued a statement, but I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to say, if anyone's hearing my voice and they're in a conservative organization, or orthodox organization, trying to hold on for dear life, go on the offense. Do not, please do not do this kind of thing where you just make a general statement and it no one knows exactly where you line up. It's so vague and uh, it's just to offset criticism. No, make a very positive declaration and take to task the people who are trying to tear you down and what you're doing down. So my two cents. God bless. More coming later. Uh, Appreciate your prayers as I'm traveling. 1607project.com if you want to find out more about the project that I'm helping film for this particular week. God bless. Bye now.